Hey, podcast world, it's Podcast Friday with your friends at FNO and TrueTech. I'm Rob Beller, one of your hosts, and with me today is none other than Lee Boyd, co-host. It took you a little second to kind of catch on to my intro. Today, it, it did, it? just a hair. I, I uh -huh. apologize. Uh -huh. you, you, you shake it up so much. That's okay. You must have been thinking about something else. Well, maybe. <laughs> what were you thinking of, Lee? I was thinking about tell the. Our, uh, tell our I audience. was actually thinking about the the uh, Conan O'Brien episode I was listening to the other day, about how uh, the people who were listening to Conan O'Brien said, you know, whenever you start a podcast, you say, okay, let's go. It's time to go. And then he, they said, but you know, then he spends about sixty seconds, and then he starts. And I think sometimes you do the same thing. You're like, okay, we're going to record. Ready? Record. And then there's this just silence. I'm thinking, well, what, what is he going to come out with? So that's what I was thinking about, Rob. Well, part of what we do on our podcast is keep people on their toes. Yeah. And you're no exception. I have to keep you, you on your toes because, yeah. you know, I mean, guys who have jobs like yours where you're like thinking all day and messing with data all day sure. and doing reports all day and looking at new insure tech stuff. I mean, you, you, you're nerds, and that, sometimes that, yeah. you, you get a little lost. You know, only one person you calls a me lost. a nerd, and that is my my co-host, Rob Beller. Uh, in fact, I have a great nerd story for um, for our audience about my my friend and co-host, <laughs> Lee Boyd, and that is we recently um, had him in the office, and we are talking to him, and we we're somehow wedding anniversaries came up, and yeah. we said to Lee, when's your wedding anniversary? He says, oh. Well, mine is uh, either um, <laughs> July thirtieth, June twenty ninth, yeah. July July thirtieth, or thirty first. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> to which to which we all said, um, Lee, you, uh, which is it? He says it's just not important. It's one of those two. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I, so. I got the month right. So if 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 you answer a question like that, now you can see why I have to do what I do that, on this podcast. That is true. To keep you focused yep you see what happens to even get you to be on, here i focus on certain things and the other details just kind of drop out sorry sorry wife <laughs> that's okay as you know the good news is she doesn't listen not, to this not, so. not even a little bit i know nope. that's okay neither does my wife not, not a little bit i got my wife to listen to three minutes and she looked at me and she says do i have to keep listening <laughs> so that was <laughs> good job honey do i have to keep listening to this no. Yeah, that's really great. I have to go. You know, I don't know what so, I expected. I guess I expected to tell my wife, hey, we're doing a podcast. And I thought she'd go, that's great. Oh, uh -huh. how cool. You know, right. Yeah, you, you sound great on it. But no, that, that didn't happen. That was a that was a wish. That 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 didn't happen mm -hmm. though. But that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so um None of this has anything to do with our host, our um, uh, our our guest today. No, it doesn't. Who is who is a um, a very special guest who we're honored to have, uh, the director of strategic supply management, big job at a big company, Liberty Mutual. Yeah. Mr. Tony Triola, the one, the only, Tony Triola is on our show today. You know, what I do you think about that. I like to refer to Tony Triola as the mayor of insurance. Now. I don't know if I'm the only one who, who who's done that or if I've heard I think that. That's a good one. But I think that's a good. guy that you're going to show up to a conference and you're going to go, oh, okay, this is a good conference. Tony Tirola's here. He's going to keep it going. Mm -hmm. He's going to 
It's going to make everybody feel welcome, and he knows what he's doing. Yep. So yeah. Yep. The mayor of not only that, there there's an entourage surrounding him typically, and he's typically holding court. Yeah, always. And um, I've been privileged to be able to spend actual time alone with Tony Trudeau. That's a treat. And can tell you not only is he a, a really interesting character, um, and a and a and a one of a kind special guy. He's really really smart. Yeah. And really really capable. And has a lot of insights about this industry. And one of the reasons that we wanted him on our show today, um, or in just any time, is to be able to... Tony Trailer has a front row seat to InsureTech. Mm-hmm. A front row seat. He has been in this business a long time. He's seen the wave coming. And now he sees the wave you know, crashing on the shore. And he... Uh, not a lot of people have the access and the insight that Tony does. Tony refers to himself as a guy, you know, looking at it from a 30,000 foot view. And I've heard that a lot from people. Uh, but then whenever you listen to him, you're like, nah, you're still a weeds guy. You're still down in there. <laughs> Tony is not. Tony has the background to be, uh, you know, a guy who's looking at the trees but he has the ability to back up and see the whole forest, to see the entire um, insured tech world, to see the entire claims process. And, um, you know, I think today we're going to get to hear a little bit about his background, but really be lucky enough to hear his entire view of the entire ecosystem of insured tech and claims. Right, right. So instead of us going on and on about it and spoiling it for Tony. Yeah. Why don't we turn on um, Mr. Triola's microphone so that we can hear from him? And without further ado, we will go to our interview with Mr. Tony Triola from Liberty Mutual. Hey there, podcast audience. We're here on Podcast Friday with how do I how do I how do I properly introduce this man? He is a friend. He is a personality in our industry. He is a notable guy. He's a speaker. He's an all-around good man, Mr. Tony Triola. What uh, did you think of that intro, I Tony? I just keep lying to me. I love it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've <Welcome>. just started. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't wait. This should be great. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's a pleasure. We've been working on this for a while and it's, it's, um, awesome to get you on. Um, where, where, where do we find you today? I am sitting in my home office in, uh, sunny and moist central Florida. Uh Uh-huh. More sunny or moist? Well, let's just say it's all things you have Florida in almost July. (laughs) It's both. It's both sunny, warm, (laughs) and, and, uh, and very humid. Well, um, it is the summer. And it is Florida. And so we would expect these things. Well, come visit anytime, Rob. You know, you've been invited. I'll have you over at the house. I have. I have. In fact, you've invited me to stay and at I your don't house. Extend that offer to just Which... anyone. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> I've ever. No, had you're, that offer, you're correct. Thank you. <laughs> Besides <laughs> the stray dogs. Um, but listen, let's uh, let's let's jump into uh, today's episode. We have you here not not just because we know you so well and because you're a friend of ours, but but more importantly because of what you do and your touch 
and knowledge and background in the insurtech space. And so we're really excited to have you um, to have your uh, perspective and your ideas uh, to share with our audience. So let's let's set the stage and start by telling us what your title is and just from 30,000 feet. Yeah, uh, no, what, uh, what great. And no, again, all, uh, all kidding aside, you know, thanks for having me on. It, it really is, um, it is an honor every time anyone asks for my opinion and they're willing to listen. So no, I really, all kidding aside, thank you for that. So currently my title uh, is sure. the Director of Strategic Supplier Management at Liberty Mutual Insurance. Now my title has changed like seven times <laughs> at Liberty. I've stopped ordering business cards, but essentially the job for the last seven years that I've been at Liberty has been the same. Uh, so we wear, my team wears about 362 different hats, <clears throat> but there are three large hats that my team wears. So none is, um, we, uh, we are charged with being experts uh, uh, in the insurance process, not only for Liberty, but for the industry, understanding what the community of other carriers is doing in the space so that we can remain competitive. And then also understanding what the community of vendors out there has to offer to us so that we can then look for and find solutions, whether they be technology or process-based using our community of vendors and suppliers to help us in claims do our job better, faster, and more efficiently with an eye towards serving our customers. So that's, that's hat. That's big hat. Number one, uh, big hat. Number two is, uh, once we uh, have alignment internally on, uh, the way forward with a new supplier, uh, we stay involved through the onboarding and procurement process. We are not procurement. We're often confused with procurement, but we are not part of the procurement organization. We stay involved and we shepherd these new relationships through the procurement process, including contracting and negotiating all the terms and conditions and pricing. Uh, we do this on also um, renegotiations on existing suppliers as well, but we, we stay involved through the procurement process. That's, that's big hat two. And then big hat number three is something that we've taken on new in our department in 2019. And we're just really building it out now. And that's that's becoming more of a traditional uh, vendor management organization or, or at least adopting part of that into our current process by which uh, we are digesting data uh, and analyzing that data through dashboards and reporting back to the business on performance of our vendor programs and making recommendations on how we can improve uh, either existing programs or make recommendations to new suppliers that we can bring on using using the, the vast amount of data that we've seen to have accumulated over the years. Those are the three big hats. And then there's, you know, 359 other things. Another three, well, you said 362. So that's right. 359 other hats. Um, I don't know that we have the time to go through them all today. However, um, just. No, but I can, I can, but I can definitely add and subtract. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have my calculator out, so that helps me. Um, so um, let, let's let's uh, let's start to before we dig into your your some of your viewpoints and ideas and and what you're seeing out there. Let's set the stage by talking about where you came from and how you got to this. What I consider to be a super cool job, um, where you get to goof around in a lot of really interesting, um, play in a lot of different interesting pools, if you will. And, uh, so start by telling me where you came from. Are you a claims guy by training? Is that where you came from? Or let, let's hear a little bit about, a little bit about your background. Yeah, no, thanks. I am a, I am definitely a claims guy. So, um, first job out of college. In fact, a month before I graduated from college, I was hired as a field claims representative in St. Louis, Missouri, 
by farmers insurance. And so uh, that's 1997. I can't believe it's been that long, uh, but I'm definitely a claims guy. I didn't really have uh, my, my father's background is in construction and contracting. Uh, mom was pretty much a stable mom. I didn't really have, there wasn't really a direction for my family that we took, you know, we weren't doctors, we weren't lawyers. You know, we, we, in fact, we didn't have a whole lot of anything when I was growing up, right? We didn't have two nickels to rub together. And so, uh, a very strong drive by me to become the, one of the first professionals in my family. There's only one, only one of my brothers, only one person in my family went to college other than I did. That was one of my brothers. So got out of school, went straight into claims. Claims is the only thing I know. Um, and from there, I have, I have built this extremely good life for me and my family that I owe everything to the insurance industry. So if you, if you want to know what my drive is and Rob, you know me better than, than some people, my drive is really about making this place, this industry that I work in better for everyone, not only the, not only our customers, but for all the employees that serve our customers. That's, that's really been what impacts me the most of what I tend to drive myself towards are programs that impact the people, not again, not only the customer for the industry, but yes, claims nonetheless started as an adjuster uh, in property. I've worked all the lines in personal insurance at farmers insurance got involved in the first deployment of the electronic claim system that farmers rolled out in the early aughts. Around the year 2000, they started that. Went from there to claims administration. I then diverted from claims for about a year and went to go help manage the agency force in Missouri, about 450 people, before coming back to claims and going into the auto side and doing some work in there. And in 2009, a friend of mine who I'd worked with in the past, he pulled me into an organization at Farmers called Strategic Initiatives. And that's really my journey for the last decade has started, right? Doing what I do, knowing uh, what I know about the industry, becoming an expert in my field. That's that's really where this this journey, this Tony Triola that you know, started in 2009 with strategic initiatives and farmers insurance. Cool. So you're a claims guy. I am a claims guy for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see you mostly um, are frequently at, at different conferences and they're typically claims conferences. Um, uh, and so it, I, I didn't realize that you had such a, um, extensive background in, in actually working in claims. It's been a long time, 22 years now, a little over. It's, it's, um, it's kind of crazy that I can say that I never thought I'd be doing anything for 22 years, but here I am. So when, so in uh, 2009, tell me a little bit about that strategic development. What did that consist of? What, what, what did you do there? So strategic initiatives at farmers, and I'm I'm sure it's changed since then. I've been I've been away from farmers since 2013, so I'm I'm sure that department has changed. But at the time, um, farmers put together a, a pretty large team that was charged with it's called them the innovation team, right? The first iteration of the innovation team. Um, their job was really to bring in new projects that made the claims organization better, uh, and then they were all trained, including myself, as project managers. And so not only were we charged with finding these things. It was part of our, it was part of how we were rated at the end of the year. How many new innovations did we bring in? How much did we impact the company? Like what was the ROI that we brought in? But we were also trained as project managers. So not only were we bringing these things in and obtaining sponsorship from the executives uh, and getting that executive, you know, FaceTime, we were also then charged with deploying it, right? We were, we were the project managers. We shepherded that thing all the way through deploying it, operational side. And then finally, after a long period of time when it was really working, we were able to deliver that to the operations team for long-term management. So that was strategic initiatives, you know, from 2009 to about 2013. Around the time that I left, 
that, that organization started changing a little bit, not, not for the worse or better. I don't know how it ended up eventually, but uh, they, they sort of split off innovation at one point. In fact, I was their first innovation manager before I left farmers insurance uh, until then they didn't really have a, a manager of innovation, but um, wow. I'm sure that organization has changed. They're the first big carrier that had a team that was executive facing that had a lot of clients in the organization and were able to really play into playing in a very large sandbox with the insurance company's money and being allowed to fail forward was just unheard of, right? So this team really had the chance to try out a lot of things. It was it was a pretty exciting time in my career. We we got to do a lot of stuff and we failed a lot, <laughs> but but we did make some things. We did build some things that were impactful. Sure, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you um, were with a group that was given the latitude to to fail because as we all know in our in our industry that's not well first of all nobody likes to fail i mean let's be honest but uh but the acceptance of failure can sometimes be uh an issue well i would say good judgment comes from experience and a lot of experience comes from really bad judgment <laughs> yeah yeah you know i'm looking uh well earlier i looked on your uh, LinkedIn, and I saw that you have received your project management professional certification, your PMP, uh, in 2011. Um, tell me about that. What 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 kind of drew you to or pushed you to get that? And then has it has it helped you? Uh, it's helped me tremendously. But honestly, it wasn't my idea. I, I'm lying if I took credit for it. So again, farmers uh, at the time felt it was very important to have a very professional organization doing these things internally, right? And we needed a lot of respect, not only not only internally, but externally as well. But but over the years, uh, farmers in this strategic initiatives team built up a, a reputation for being a highly professional organization and having a team full of certified project managers that went through the training and took the time. It, by the way, it is no small feat to become a PMP. Right. It's one of the most, it's one of the harder things I've done in my professional career. It's, it's like a four hour exam that takes three hours and 59 and a half minutes. It's not easy, right? So give farmers some props with having the foresight to, to know that we needed to be a very professional organization at the time and, and doing that, we needed some formal training because there really was no other simile at the time for how to do these things other than looking at project managers and how they put things in place and how they implement things. And farmers took a look at that model and said, well, this is what we need, at least initially, so that we so that we actually have some sort of framework to start with on how we how we develop and how we innovate. So so then after a really long run, 15 years, you you make the jump to Liberty. What uh, what motivated that or prompted it? Well, Liberty at the time was was starting a department. Uh, so long story short, I was recruited away from from farmers. I I love farmers. Um, I still have an affinity towards them. I mean, they a big part of my life and what I'm able to do today and how you know, successful I've been in the industry has to do with farmers allowing me to do that. Right. So I still have an affinity for them. I thought I was going to retire. Didn't even have a resume ready, but Liberty Mutual came knocking on the door. We made an arrangement and had an agreement and, and I went to work for, for Liberty Mutual. I want to talk uh, about InsureTech for a minute because you came into this role and this idea um, around 2013. And I'm sure because you, you've had a great opportunity to be right at the front, on the front lines of this InsureTech wave that, that has rolled in really since the time you've been at Liberty. Is, is that correct? Yeah, it was called fintech until recently, and until we coined the term insure tech. But yeah, I've been, I've been, I've seen a lot of you, and I've definitely been blessed to be in a position where um, I do get a lot of love from the vendor community. And so, 
it allows me some freedom not having to go out and look for things. Things just sort of be, being part of a large carrier, you know, we're the third largest carrier in the country. Being part of a large carrier, everybody wants a little bit of my time and, and I'm happy to give it. Rob, you know me well enough. I, I never say no to a meeting. I, I thirst for knowledge yeah. and uh, I believe knowledge is power. And even though I might not use the knowledge today, I'm, I'm always surprised. Like three years from now, I'll remember a conversation that I have with some random person that, that's, that's now all of a sudden applicable to what I'm doing. And I, and I reach back out three years later and, and say, hey, remember this conversation we were having? Let's, let's talk about that more now. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be in a position where I see organically most everything that's coming out new. It's, it's a great position to be in. So then that, that is a great position. Um, uh, and, and people c- clamor, of course, to have the opportunity to, to show their wares to you. Um, what, what, what what was that like? I mean, in 2013, there was exact, there was symbility, I th- there was even accurance, but there wasn't the the vast number of uh, of of options that there are today. What's 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 that been like being there from the beginning and 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 watching this wave roll in? You know, the insurance industry has been pretty slow to adopt technology and change our process. I mean, if you look at what we do today, by far and large, you know, especially across the, the carriers of any size whatsoever, you know, we're, we may have tweaked the process incrementally over the years, but there's not a whole lot of difference between how we handle claims now and how we handle claims 50 years from now, right? There's, there have been a few tidbits of technology along the way. You mentioned a couple, Xactimate's big one, you know, in the 90s, we were finally we didn't have to figure out what the pricing was anymore. We had a database that made us more efficient in writing estimates. But but I would call all these things sort of incremental improvements to the process that we always used. Um, I, I, right now, with all the technology, mm-hmm. there are a lot of firsts. And again, you you mentioned a lot of them, right? Exactimate, accurate. But what you're seeing now is, uh, I think, a lot of duplication in some of these technologies, right? Not all it's good. Some of it's very, very good, right? But you see iterative improvements coming from the, not only the suppliers that were first in the industry with this technology, but also, you know, new players that are coming in and trying to do something different, but just do the same thing with just with a different spin, right? So I would almost say the hard part now is cutting through all the noise, right? Because there are just so many people doing the same thing right now. It's, it's, it's hard to cut through the noise of who's actually going to be involved in, in the iterative process of collaboration with the carriers to make things good over time. Right. Cause I, I, I call it sort of falling in love, right. It's, it's happened slowly and now it's kind of all at once. Can you give an example? You don't have to mention any company names, but, but of a, of a, of a situation that comes to your mind that, 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 that shows that where you have, you know, too much crowding or too much going on or too many options, or, I mean, like a space that, that, that you're thinking of? Yeah. So if you, if you think to, if you think the video, claim, right in 2009 at farmers, we put an inside outside model using video collaboration. Right. And at the time there was really only one supplier in the space that offered this. It wasn't designed for insurance. It was designed for service organizations. Right. So you had a very expensive, like $5,000 camera. And uh, if, if you, if you had a factory in India, and there were no resources close to that factory in India. You could ship them a camera, have them camera whatever piece of machinery you were trying to fix. I'm just giving an example, obviously. And then somebody on the other end from Canada could take a look in live 
at what what was going on and and help you diagnose the problem and fix it remotely, right? That's what it was really used for. But back in 2009, we were on 3G for crying out loud, right? And and there was there, were, there was there was no FaceTime and none of this stuff really existed. I mean, to a small scale, it did, but none of it was designed for insurance and none of it was designed for high frequency workflow, right? Right. It was one player, zip, period, right? And right. it didn't really work at the time because the technology just wasn't there and the technology was just really expensive. But fast forward to 2019, and if you throw a rock, you hit a video collaboration tool. So I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. We need competition in the space, but I think the insure tech industry is not a very mature industry yet. <laughs> right. And so we haven't been able right. to see which players are here to stay and which players are just sort of fly by night. And that's not disparaging anyone. It's just saying that there's a lot of the same kind of stuff right now. Well, you know, Tony, you're talking about a lot of different things and some of them have crowding, some don't. Whenever you look at insure tech as a whole, is there a certain technology that's out there that you think can make the greatest impact in, in insurance? So I would say that what technology has done for us over the years is allow us to trust third parties more. Um, so think about 22 years ago when I started in claims. There was a real need to have Tony Triola in a car and drive to a lost location. The, the technology just didn't exist. I mean, I, I literally had a, a Dodge Neon a tape measure and a Polaroid camera. That's not too far from the exact truth. And so even if I could take a great picture with that Polaroid camera, which you can't, there was no mechanism to get, if say we were working an inside outside method, our model, there was no mechanism to get all that data that a desk adjuster would need to accurately settle the claim. There was no way to get that to them in a quick manner, right? So there was a need to have Tony out there with eyes and ears to validate scope, to validate coverage, right? But now you fast forward 22 years and all this technology exists. Now we've been very slow as an industry to, to adopt this, but what all this, what all these things are doing, if you look at claims, I mean, you see the shift happening right now. I mean, I'll, I'll say it this way. If you're not turned on about what's going on in property insurance right now, you need to go find something else to do because this is about as exciting as it possibly gets for us. I mean, we, we, are, at, we are at a tipping point in the industry and it's exciting from my level from 30,000 feet. It's exciting to look down at the small end, through the small end of the funnel at this broad view of the industry and watch as the entire property industry shifts its model from, this is a, I need to have my agreed. people there, I need to have my eyes on the site, to saying, you know, maybe I can let go a little bit. And I think what technology done is it's enabled us to let go a little bit from being in complete control of the inspection and everything else to using these technological tools uh, to automate the process more and to be more accurate and tr and to trust providers that go out and take a look at this for us, that we can trust what they say about coverage and scope, right? We There's still a need a lot of times to have eyes and ears, but you might not need the person to be there from an IA firm. You could you can collaborate with the insured. You can send out a, a ladder assist person, right? You can send out a, right. uh, um, a we go looker kind of guy, right? Yeah, you have, it gives us more options. And And by the way, what all this does the obvious answer is why are you doing this, right? And and the and the obvious question why are you doing this? The obvious answer is well, this helps me reduce my expenses. But it's not really with an eye of being more profitable. If you look at a lot of this country, insurance rates have become untenable. Coastal communities. I think if we still continue to see these wildfires in Northern California, it's only a matter of time before the rates become untenable there as well. But we owe it to our consumers. We owe it to our customers. We owe it to our policyholders to develop new ways of doing things and new products that make the insurance product affordable. 
Um, and that's really what reducing your expenses does. I think, I think from the layman, when they look at us trying to do all these things and it might be with it, they might think, oh, they're cutting corners or reducing expenses, make more money. And sure, we're for profit, by the way. I'll just remind everyone we're, we're for profit, right? We, and we certainly want to make money, but we, but we don't design our process for making money on our premium. And in fact, everything that we do is meant to make us more efficient so that we can improve that combined ratio so that we can reduce our premium so that we remain more competitive in the industry. And that premium reduction, the less we spend or the more we spend, it's all picked up by the consumer, right? So the better we can be, the faster we can be, the cheaper we can be, right. Right. the better it is for our policyholder. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, what have y'all learned uh, with customer satisfaction or customer experience? Whenever you're sending out different people or trying to go quicker on these claims, what what is that doing to the customer experience? Are they enjoying it? Is it, you know, are, are they happy about it? What are y'all finding? Um, I would say it depends on who you talk to, right? We 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 have a we do a lot of talking about millennials and the newer generation coming up. So I, I think I don't want to put people in the buckets per se, but I'll but there's a you know, people older, I would say are a little more resistant to this change than people my age and, and younger. So let's say that, right? Um, and I'm 45, by the way, uh, the younger generation, not only are they more agreeable to use some of this technology to help us do our job, but there are there's data out there that suggests from J.D. Power and others that they want this, right? Uh, you know, there was a slide I saw a couple of years ago at a conference, and the slide was intended to show you uh, how long the claims process can last before a boomer is unhappy, before a millennial is unhappy, right? And I think, and I don't know what the exact days were, but I think it was like 15 to 18 days is sort of the sweet spot before boomers become unhappy with the claims process. And I think like 11 to 14 days was the Correct. sweet spot before right. millennials. So that's what the slide was meant to show was, hey, you got to be faster, you know, three, four days improvement on your cycle time. But the telling part of that slide was if you looked all the way at the bottom and to the left, it, it shows where the satisfaction, the dissatisfaction starts. And it was about four days that some boomers started saying, you know, I'm, I'm unhappy with how long this is taking. But if you look at the millennium mm -hmm. graph, it was like day one, there were people that were already fed up with the process and how long it was taking, right? So in that sort of an environment, you almost have to offer these tools and collaborate with your policyholder. Because as, as the younger generation continues to buy homes and insurance and everything else, we, we need to develop tools, not only that help us do our job better, faster and cheaper, but we always have to keep that eye on the customer to make sure it's what, what they want as well. If it's not what they want, what's the point, right? We need, we need to manage our business, but we also need to delight our customers. Right. You know, I really, I really think that there's an area of opportunity out there with this technology. I recently had a claim, and so I was able to put myself right in the driver's seat of what a what a customer thinks, what an insurer thinks. And what I thought about was with the technology is it's so useful whenever there's coverage. It's so nice to be able to quickly cover a loss, pay what's owed, settle the claim. But I think there's a huge area of opportunity whenever the the, the claim is denied or is questionable damage. Uh, and it doesn't always go the way that the policyholder wants. Uh, you know, what, what do you think about that? Has, has anybody really been able to go out there and use this technology to, you know, deny a claim or, you know, cover what is actually damaged? You know, so without naming names, um, I would say that, you know, we've met an eye on that as well. We, we understand it's an opportunity to, to still improve upon the satisfaction of our customers in a situation where, 
unfortunately we can't pay, right? And by the way, I'll say for everyone listening that might not be in this industry, we never look for ways not to pay. We, the way I train my people, the way that I was trained was we look for coverage. We look for every way possible to pay that claim. And if we can't find a way, well, then you just know that that's just some, something's going wrong, right? That you shouldn't cover it. So that's number one. But right. number two is in those situations, I think there's still some ownership that's lost on the industry to still help the insured at least find a way uh, to become whole, even if that doesn't mean any kind of financial compensation, right? So we've developed uh, relationships with a couple of different networks, and we continue to improve upon that process to find new suppliers, new partners that in these situations, and somebody says, well, then what do I do now? We can at least refer them to somebody and say, look, these these folks are also experts in the space, and we think they're in a position to really to really help you with this claim that unfortunately we can't cover. But yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. There's an opportunity there. I don't, I don't think we're alone in that. In that, I haven't really looked at that across the industry, but I can tell you for one thing that, that Liberty Mutual definitely has programs in place post claim for claims that weren't paid to help the customers in some ways inform. Wonderful. I want to get back to your comment that you were just making about, um, you know, maybe you know different demographic groups and 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 their uptake of technology and whatnot. <clears throat> one of the things I've become interested and sensitive to lately is the the concept of a digital native. And of course, I mean, the way that I define that is, um, you know, somebody who's just, you know, born and raised in, in, in the, in the digital world. Like my, you're talking about you, right? Rob? Well, I'm talking about my sons yeah. actually funny guy, <laughs> funny, funny guy. Um, uh, yeah, I'm 45 too. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> We're just telling jokes. Um, so, anyways, so, uh, but my my kids, who I would consider to be digital natives, right? You can pretty much, and they're not, they're not, although they work very closely in, inside of the tech industry, they're not necessarily engineers or anything like that. But you hand them any device, and you know, in a moment they can figure it out, or any any app, and in a moment or two they can figure it out. They're just comfortable with it; it's just they know it. And so, when you um, uh, get into an insurance claim with them, it's the, that, that this is just what they accept as their normal process of day in, day out is, um, you know, give, give me the app and I'll, and I'll take care of it. And, um, that's very, that's very, very, um, potent for the future of insurance claims. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, and I and really honestly, if you if you talk about what this industry and that, that tipping point that we talked about a little bit earlier, where the tipping point is, is this industry now is trying to find ways. The nut we're trying to crack as an industry as a whole, looking at the from thirty thousand feet, is how do we accurately settle while still delighting the customer claims from behind a desk that traditionally we would have sent somebody out to look at, right? Higher severity. Right. Right. Higher complexity claims. Right? We can't take our, but, but without taking our eye off of delighting the customer and without taking our eye off the accuracy piece, right? Because, and that's the nut, I think, if you look from 30,000 feet, the direction we're all moving right now is is that direction is how do we sell more claims from behind a desk, right? It's not rocket science. It costs more to send somebody out of the car than it costs right. to handle a claim from a desk, right? So if I can do that accurately and delight Correct. the customer, that is a much better process for our insured than, than the other way around. Correct. Hey, what about what about this? So two years ago, I heard you speak at the Exact Word conference, and you were on a panel, 
might have been three years ago. But anyway, you were on a panel and you started talking about direct repair within the property uh, insurance claims world. Uh, you were saying that you could see a day where you know the insurance company could be like the auto, you know, the the property side could be like the auto side where we just repair the damage. Uh, what is your thought on that? And do you still think that that's a possibility? Well, not only do I think it's a possibility, but for, for Tony Triola, not the views of any carrier I may have worked for or currently work for, but, but strictly according to Tony Triola, if you look at the Western world as a whole, the United States is an outlier. Right? In most other Western countries uh, with insurance, there's a very collaborative spirit involved with the carrier and with the insured, right? If you look at, and I'm paraphrasing here and and somebody might be listening to this saying, no, you're, you're, you're wrong about this or that. But directionally, I'm talking only, right, at a very high level. At a very high level, if you look at the UK, you look at Canada, the claim comes in, there are collaborative relationships with contractors, there are agreed upon prices with contractors. Those contractors go out, they inspect, they verify scope and coverage. And in most cases, the insured agrees to have the repairs completed by the contractor the insurance sent out. I think we can all agree without going into details, that's not the way it works. Right. 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 And we don't have that spirit of collaboration. On the auto side, uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. It was before my time. Um, I can make some guesses why the stars align. But but the industry, much the same fashion now, the industry moved the same direction at the same time, albeit I think a little more, more quickly towards a body shop uh, supply chain for your estimates and for your claim handling, right? Where today, I think it's somewhere in the 70 or 80. If you're, if you're a big carrier and you don't have 70 or 80% of your cars going through your body shop channel, like you're probably doing something wrong, right? It's a, it's a very popular channel, but it's because whether I'm with Liberty or Allstate or Nationwide or Travelers, you name it, farmers, if I have a claim on my auto and I go to my neighbor and I say, hey, they want me to send my car to, they want me to take my car to one of their shops. It doesn't matter who your neighbor's with. They If they had a claim, they may have had a very similar experience. Some might call it chocolate, some might mm-hmm. call it vanilla, but it's kind of all ice cream, right? Yeah. I, I see that same movement now on the property side. So getting back to your question, not only do I see it developing in the for us as an industry and being a, a great way to handle claims, I actually see it as our future, especially in those areas, again, where, where rates have been untenable. And not saying it's the future, we're not gonna all move there all at once. I don't think it's gonna happen in five years. I think maybe in 10 years, you see a lot more of this. But if you look at the Florida market where I live, right, I, we all know that it's, you know, coverage is not as affordable in, Tampa, Florida, as it is in Phoenix, Arizona, for the most part, right? And that's right. because of the volatility of the weather. So if you look at Florida right now, there are three carriers that I'm aware of. Anyway, there might be more now, but the three carriers I'm aware of that have adopted a complete and total direct repair model. And I have experience with this, right? And I won't name my carrier, but when I was shopping for insurance, when I first moved here three years ago, I moved from the Midwest. I had a, I had a you know 4,000 square foot house. I was paying $1,800 a year for my coverage in, in St. Louis, Missouri. I moved to Florida, I got a house half the size, and my premium is $6,200. And by the wow. way, there was only one carrier that would cover me 100% for water damage. Everybody else wanted to limit me to $10,000 in water damage because of the size, because of the age of my home and the construction of my home. But a carrier that said, hey, look, if you agree, if you have a claim to do it my way, but you're agreeing contractually at the point of sale, that if you have a claim, you're going to use my network, right? You're going to call me right away. I'm going to send my guys out. They're going to come and do the repairs for you. And if you agree to do it that way, instead of $6,200 a year, I'm going to charge you $30 a year. That is a no-brainer. Right. Right. I mean, look, I, I work in the industry, and let's just say that the company that this area uses is one that I don't do business with. 
But even knowing that I don't do business with them, I'm completely comfortable with them coming in and doing repairs. Uh, knowing what I know, I am completely comfortable with that. And especially at the point of sale for a you know $2,500 savings, it's a no-brainer. It's a much harder proposition at the point of claim to convince the insured that there are more benefits by listening to us and collaborating with us on the repair than there is trying to get it done on your own. Um, and I believe in heart of hearts. I believe that you know we have enough experience that we can help the insured and guide them through the repair process, but our current policy doesn't allow for that. We all know steering is illegal. Everyone goes to jail, it's a bad day. But in the new world, right? Whereas in the UK or in Canada, or I'm naming countries, but in the West, a lot of the Western world where it's this happy path, it's not contractual. People just do it because everyone trusts each other. It's not that way here. And I think these companies are on something. I don't know if they have all the answers, but I think, I think they're really on to something here where, look, if I make this contractual at the point of sale, I can severely reduce my combined ratio, right? I can now have, I can now have agreed upon price lists, right? I can, I might not, have, I don't have to send adjusters out on everything, right? I, I can reduce my expenses. I can reduce my indemnity and while still bringing the customer back to a pre-loss condition, but being able to do all these things with a relationship where I'm, I'm sending one of my partners a lot of revenue, right? That, sure. that helps me reduce you, my expenses and charge much lower premium. And that's a win-win for everybody. Sure. Conceptually, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense. The problem has been in direct repair is that the, um, the delivery hasn't always been as good <laughs> as the concept. <laughs> well, here's the problem we have to solve for, right? If we, if we write a check and something goes wrong on that claim from a contractor you chose, like, sure, we'll, we'll help you, right? Yeah. But, but that's where it sort of ends. We're not, we're not in the house. Right. We don't stay in the right. house. We didn't we'll make the decision. We can because, right. But now if I'm, I'm also the contractor mm -hmm. and there's a problem with a job, I, I, I don't have a solution for this. I'm just saying, right? Yeah. But, but once you're in the house, you can't leave the house until the customer's satisfied, right? Right. right. It's, it's all the problems that contractors have that, that we don't get involved in typically when it, when it reaches a certain point. Let's shift gears to talking about some of the categories of um, insure tech stuff that's out there and, and, and whatnot. And, and then I want to ask you a, a, the big question about the insure tech industry, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about IoT for a second, because the situation, we, we, we had an interview recently with um, Brett Jurgens, who's the co-founder and CEO of Notion. Are you familiar with Notion? I don't know that one. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Notion is a, there is, they're an IOT device company that's working. Um, I think pretty much strictly in the insurance space or that's their main focus is the insurance space. And what they do is they have a whole for, they have a sensor, one sensor, one sensor, but that one sensor can detect water. It can detect sound sound. So it can hear a smoke alarm going off. Mm-hmm. Um, it can de de detect a certain kind of motion, like if, if a door opens or a window opens, it, de right. it can detect that. So you can put these sensors all over your house and, and they'll, they, basically they can keep track, you know, of everything that's going on. What, what, what's, what's your thought and including, is there a water leak, right? Right. <laughs> is there a fire? Is there a break in, um, what, what, what's your thought about IOT and, uh, and insure tech? Um, it's part of our future. Um, I, I don't know what role yet the insurance company plays in the deployment of this technology, right? We've, 
personally, I've, we've been we've been trying to operationalize it. That's probably the wrong way of saying it. We've we've been playing around with these Internet of Thing devices for a while, right? Um, there is a benefit to them. Claims prevention, loss prevention has been a part of our industry since 1752 when Franklin started the Philadelphia country ship for the insurance of houses by from loss by fire. By the way, name your company something smaller than that when you name your company. Um, it still exists today, right? But in 1752, you know, not only did Ben Franklin figure out that, hey, I can charge people different things based on their rate, based on their amount of risk, right? There's no such thing as a bad risk. There's just a bad rate. But he also started this whole fire prevention campaign, how we can, how the insurance companies could play a role in not only covering your home if something tragic happens, but how do we prevent that from happening in the first place? And by the way, innovation, right? How do we reduce your rate? It's we get you to do things that reduce your risk, right? Right. This is the same thing. It's just, you know, 250 years later, right? Uh, the Internet of Things... If you, if you take a look at the next evolution, like in the fire and burglar alarms, like we still give discounts for those kinds of things. But it's not because the insurance company is deploying this technology to your home. I think I think the way we looked at this thing initially was, was well-intentioned, but highly improbable in the way that we could operationalize it, right? Because how could we possibly put devices in 10 million households, right? It's just right. There's, a, there's a huge outflow of cash. And then, by the way, once we put that technology into your house, how do we make sure you stay with us so we can you know, repay that debt, right? right. If we're, and, we're putting a couple hundred dollars in equipment in your home. Like what, what's the guarantee that tomorrow you're not going to, you know, get up and, you know, go shopping and, and leave and go to another carry, right? That, it, it's hard to operationalize this technology, but I, I do believe it plays a role, but it's got to become more ubiquitous in, in the world, not just with insurance. As we talk to more of these, like we also had uh, Roll Peters from Roost on, who's a great guy. And um, as we talk to more of these companies, um, uh, we had uh, Gabe Halimi from Flow on. Um, I think that carriers will start to compete more, uh, maybe leveraging IoT, not just as a functional idea like loss prevention, but also as a marketing idea. Like, for example, and, and what brought it to mind was when you were talking about the discount that was offered to you if you'll use the, the, the direct repair program. Um, we, there, there's one of notions, um, customers is a, is a carrier and they offer you a discount. Once you install and um, activate the notion system, they'll give you a discount. They'll send you the system. Isn't that right, Lee? Do they, does the, they, will. they send it to you. Yeah, whenever you buy, when you the, buy policy, the policy, they send it to you. They'll send you the Notion system, and once they know, they can see, you know, through the, you know, through the app that it's that it's activated and and functioning. You get a discount, and so I think that that's an interesting thing, and we can talk about this. And this isn't really our point today, but I think that we'll see more more carriers competing on. And with IoT. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I mean, am I right? It's all about lowering the risk. We want to insure you. We don't want a loss, uh, but we want to charge you for what the loss may be. And, you know, they're doing that on the auto side right now with, with uh, driving devices. I have a device with my insurance company. They sent me a little uh, device. Once I installed it and I verified it, then I got a discount. So it's, um, yeah, I think it's the way of going. But there's so many devices out there right now. 
that's what I was thinking just now is there's so many that do uh, small things. I'm, I'm interested in the day, kind of like the way Notion is going of one device that does a lot of different things. Uh, I'm excited about whenever the prevention actually happens with a single device. Yeah, I think I think as a ministry we are we are as well. But much like I was talking about with the direct pair space, you know, this kind of goes beyond claims. This goes to a product change, right? It's it's very hard to implement this technology in a meaningful way, given the existing insurance product that most of the big carriers sell. You start a new you start a new carrier and you have products that support this type of growth through the deployment of technology. You can make that you can make that work, but it's hard to retroactively take the traditional insurance product that you see offered from big carriers and deploy this technology in an affordable way to make it make sense from a loss perspective. But again, this goes beyond just claims, right? The, the change that needs to happen to the industry, the betterment of our product for our customers is not just claims, it's it's also product changes. It's also reinventing the way we do insurance, right? If you, you know, 50 years ago, burglar alarms weren't ubiquitous, right? And I'm sure people back then rob you around. Correct. Uh, we're probably thinking, ah, oh, that's right. Yeah. So people back then were probably thinking like, hey, look. I'll get you, Tony Triola. <laughs> hey, look, it's a great idea to have this monitored fire system, right? How do we make insureds buy this, right? And and the answer was, we don't, right? Insureds buy it because it's a good idea and because it's prevent loss and mitigates the loss when it happens, we'll give you a discount for it, right? But now mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether you're with Brinks or ADT or Vivint, I don't even know if Brinks is still in business, but let's just say it doesn't matter what it what what uh, doesn't matter what alarm company you're with, we're offering the same discount because the technology is ubiquitous, right? So let's turn the corner and talk about some other categories, broad categories, and uh, we'll we'll do like a lightning round and get get your thoughts on on some things. Uh, let's let's start with the category of drones. Lightning round, right? All right, drones. Um, Really cool, not there yet. So you see them, you see them as more important in the future than they are currently. Yeah, I, I think that we as an industry need to continue to play around with the technology because unless we create a demand, people who we need to keep working on the technology will stop, right? But you know, the regs that are in place to the FAA limit our ability to really do great things. Which uh, technology is still evolving. Uh, you know, put it put it this way, right? If twenty years from now, I don't know how long it's going to take, right? There's probably okay. When you when you talk about all the other things that are going to happen with drones, like Amazon delivering your shampoo to your front door, or whatever it might be, right? It's time where there there'll be these almost like um, holding areas for drones, right? And when you have a drone thing that you need to do, whether it's delivering a bottle of shampoo or going to take a look at a roof, this drone is dispatched from some remote location with no human involvement. Mm-hmm. It flies over, it does its thing, and it flies back, right? You have these drones sort of positioned all around, right? You don't. This, right. The one, what I mean is very like scooters in a major city. Yeah, yeah. When I when I say mm-hmm. when I say very cool but not there yet, what I mean is one to one environment. Right, I'm paying one person to go fly a drone on one claim and report back. That is not a cost effective model for me. Right. Okay. Next, chatbots. Chatbots. Um, again, very very cool, but will be effective when we have other mechanisms on the back end that can, uh, with machine learning and AI, that can automate part of the claims process. You can only teach a machine, a human can only teach a machine to do what a human knows, right? What we need is machine learning in the background to keep evolving, right? So that chatbots get better and better over time. You can answer more and more questions. 
Okay. What about uh, SMS or texting? SMS, um, ubiquitous, very effective model. I think chatbots can work within SMS. I think the chatbots and SMS go hand in hand. Sure. Uh, satellites. Until we can get military grade photos, you know, until you can start making some decisions based on the imagery, it, they probably they probably won't evolve any further than they than they have right now. Which, by the way, very important technology, a game changer for the industry. Bots, right? Uh, for you know, Eagle View, Geomni, Sky Measure, all the people doing aerial imagery and measuring from that, game changer. Completely changed the way we do our job and, and made us more accurate in everything we do. So, very useful technology. I just don't know how it evolves unless the imagery gets much much, much better. What about world of data? What about data? Well, if you listen to um, a lot of the CEOs in the industry, you will hear them saying now that, you know, think of us as data companies, because that's really where we are. Data in the future will allow us to make more informed decisions about how we handle a claim most appropriate. I think that's where the, I think that's where it in claims, forget about anything else with insurance, but in claims, the data is all about how do I dispatch the right tools and people to most efficiently handle that claim. We had a conversation recently and with a, with a carrier and they were telling us all about their data science department. I mean, it's funny because both you and I have been in the industry long enough to know that, you know, in the old days, there weren't data scientists working at insurance companies, but now there are. Right. I'm sure at Liberty, there are data scientists working there, PhD level people uh, considering and, manip and and playing with and looking at data and all the different things that it can do, just like exactly what you're talking. Um, predictive analytics based on tremendous amount of data history that's available to them. Uh, it's it's incredibly potent and it will have, I think, wide ranging um you know, impacts across, across organizations. I, I want to ask you a question about that we've heard a couple times. And I think that you're in a unique position to kind of consider this. Are we in an insure tech bubble? One of the things that Lee and I have learned by doing our podcast is there's a lot and a lot, there's a lot of companies uh, in the insure tech ecosystem, a lot. Is it a bubble? Are there too many? What, what's your thought on that? I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I call it a bubble. Let me call it, a, let's call it a gold rush, right? Um, the well is going to run dry at some point. Yes. To answer your question, the short answer is yes. I, I think, I think that there are already, there are already too many, depending on the category, right? Because in certain categories, there's not enough. The technology just isn't there, right? But I think, and even in those categories, when the technology evolves, more people will rush to those spaces, right? People are always going to follow the money. And there's a lot of money in insure tech right now. So it makes sense that all these companies are starting up. And let's face it, it it's not the most expensive proposition in the world to develop an app anymore, right? If you look, going back to what I said about the video collaboration space, throw a rock, hit a video collaborator. That is not a joke. I mean, there are so many because it's become so ubiquitous in the world to have video collaboration. It's just an easy thing to do, right? It doesn't mean that it's good. We need some time to get through this. I think this is a what we're going through right now is a necessary evil where it's this mad dash of, of new technology and new players in the space and new insurance companies that are starting up based on this technology, right? 
just like the rest of the world, very few of them will make it. You know, 10 years from now, who knows who's going to be in, in business and who knows who's not going to be in business. But we need this gold rush. We, we need, just like with drones, when I said we need to continue to spend money on drones, even though they're not where they need to be, we as an industry need to continue to spend money on insure tech. Because if we stop spending money on insure tech, people will stop developing. Right. It's supply and demand. And and we we need people we're not there yet. We're at this tipping point. We haven't yet reached the other side. Absolutely. Right? When we reach the other side, you're, I think you're going to see a lot of these people going away and, and the true players are going to, are going to remain. And you'll see very few new ones, like the cadence 10 years ago that you see new players coming up in the industry, but hopefully just like 10 years ago, those products are going to be more thought out and better. Right. And you're not going to see 10,000, the same different thing. Right. Right now, the hard part is, is, getting through the noise at who's really good. Right. Uh, how about AI and machine learning? The future. Um, I am, I'm already starting to see companies that can develop entire rooms, including the furniture and the damage to the room, just from a bunch of still photos taken from somebody using that app for the very first time, right? Wow. It's, I mean, it's relatively recent and it's super exciting for me right now. It's, it's, I'm working on it. I'm working on something right now uh, with one of these, one of these tools. I don't know where it's going to go. I think we're still a long way away from where we need to be. But again, if we're not spending money on the technology, people will stop developing, right? And, and I really see AI and machine learning as an important part of this whole ecosystem in the future. So if you think about it this way, think about an insured turning in a claim on the internet or through their phone, right? Say I'm going through my phone. I'm going to, I'm going to go FNOL. I'm going to turn my first notice of loss in. I can identify through a series of questions, potentially using data, like how big that claim is going to be. And if it fits my mold for something, Hey, maybe I don't need to touch this thing. Right. And I can enable a self-service experience. That's delightful for the insured. Right. Now I can have the insured take a series of very benign photos. We all take photos every single day with our phone, right? So now I'm taking five, six, eight photos of the room. It's guiding me through the workflow, take a picture of all the corners, take a picture of the damage, take a picture of the windows and the doors. And within seconds of uploading those photos, I now have a three-dimensional visual representation of what that room looks like, including the furniture in the room and the damage in some spots, right? What I can't get to now is what the furniture really is. It can, it can pick out like big chunks of objects, but it doesn't really know what the furniture is yet. But in the future, right? Imagine a time where all this is identified, right, by the by the phone app without a human doing anything. Mm-hmm. Then in the background, you have a tool it's that incorporates your estimate guidelines and says, this is how we write an estimate for this kind of claim. So the guideline engine writes the estimate out and reports back to the insured within seconds saying, hey, this is your estimate. This is how much we think it's going to cost. And here's what we're going to, we're going to issue for this. So within minutes, right. I have, I still haven't involved a human being on my side. Right. And so, and by the way, uh, this is an AI or machine learning, but by the way, here's your estimate. And here's a list of 10 different contractors. that will come in and repair your claim for this cost. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what I'm wondering is, do you see a day where using an FNOL based on the questions that are asked that we could actually produce an estimate uh, or, or pay a claim. So if we are, if we do our due diligence and capture the right amount of damage on an underwrite or the, the right amount of measurements on, on an underwriting inspection, that based on how the FNOL is filled out, that we could actually pay a claim. Do, do, do you think I, that'll ever happen? I, I, I would say if you gave me a few months 
and a little bit of money right now, I could build that. Okay. I it it doesn't exist in a complete package, but all the pieces are there. And and by the way, I can do all this again. You say FNOL, I can do all this self service. I can have the insured do all the work. Yeah. To get all the data back to me, because that's really what it's about: collecting data to make the right decision. This isn't going back. I don't know if there's coverage, right? I can't tell you if there's coverage through AI, through machine learning, but through a self-service process. Today, if you gave me enough time, a few mm -hmm. months only, maybe even mm -hmm. less, and not that much money, yeah. I could connect some dots and I could produce a tool that you could take some pictures and without a human being involved could write an estimate, period. Wow. Well, this this really leads us into our, our last question here. And we like to we like to ask our guests, uh, you know, what is the future? So what what is a property claim look like in 10 years in, in the mind of Tony Triola? So it, it really obviously depends on, on the kind of claim you're talking about, but in general, um, I think number one for smaller claims, I think you're going to see a lot more augmented reality, um, machine learning. I mean, I'm already seeing tools right now. I didn't think I would see them this fast that I can take still pictures in a room just still pictures. And within seconds on the back end of uploading those photos, not only is a 3D model of that entire room with the windows and doors and all the nooks and crannies and corners created, but they're also identifying pieces of furniture in that room, right? And mm -hmm. they're also going to identify damage, right? Deviations from the baseline from what you normally would see. And as they get more data, as they get more photos, as these tools become adopted more, they will get, they'll get even more data. What you'll get out of it will be even more richer and more accurate, right? I, I see, number one, on smart claims, you might see a lot of self-service claims. We've talked about self-service for a long time. We didn't talk about that in the podcast, which I'm really surprised about. But I think self-service is a big part of this industry for your smaller, everyday, you know, $2,000 and under claims. Can you imagine a process where I turn in a claim on, a, on my phone? I identify that I'm on a phone or a tablet. I can take pictures. It asks me to take pictures. The machine learning goes over and identifies all the measurements and all the stuff and the damage. And through an algorithm of incorporating our guidelines with estimating, it spits out a price and says, here's your check. Where do you want me to direct deposit this thing, right? Number one, I also see, I, I talked about this a little bit. I really see the future of claims as being a collaborative process with our, with our community of partners and our community of vendors, right? Up to and including a direct repair model of insurance. I really think in the future, our customers are going to want solutions more than they want to check, right? The solutions have to be great, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but I, I think the, the younger generation of people that are growing up and beginning to buy homes right now and 30 years from now, 10 years from now, whatever it might be, I, I think what they really want from us is not is a solution. Hey, help me select a contractor or select a contractor or just, hey, just come fix it for me, right? So I see a lot of, right. just fix just it. Just fix just it. Just do it, right? So that direct repair model, I, I really do, according to me, only me, um, and I'm sure there's others out there that agree with me, this direct repair model is a big way of doing things because it comes at a much, much, much lower cost that makes the insurance product a whole lot more affordable for the customer, right? So just organically, my customers who want to have an affordable product, you'll see these more and more of these carriers pop up, I think. And then third and last is just a collaborative piece, right? How do I handle more claims that are higher in severity, higher in complexity from behind us, right? Up to and including, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 losses. When I say that, though, I, I want to mention this. I don't. I I always think, and you may have heard me say this in Utah earlier in the year. Adjusters aren't going away. There will still be for eyes and ears and boots on the ground. There there always will be a need. That needs that needs going to be diminished, right? There's going to be less of a need for people out in the field. 
And you may not even be called an adjuster. So I've been with Liberty almost seven years now, and my job title has changed like five different times. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I have to evolve and I have to change just like I'm advocating for everyone else to evolve and to change, right? My job, my job changes every year almost. I mean, for what I'm doing, I say I do a job that's similar to what I did 10 years ago at, at Farmers, but that's just it. It's similar. And although, it, although I haven't really changed departments or had a new boss, what I do today is vastly different than what I did 10 years ago to accomplish the same thing. So I think the collaborative tools and being able to handle more from behind a desk, that's that's the future. And by the way, again, it's all with an eye towards cost and making this product better and faster and more affordable for the policyholder. Well, we just really love talking to you and having the opportunity to talk to you. Um, I'm sorry that you had to deal today with um, our our podcast persona <laughs> and not our <laughs> in-person personas, which you usually get to deal with. I hope you've been okay with that. <laughs> I know it's, it's been probably been traumatic for I, you, hasn't it? It's, you know, I, I, I hate, I really, I really need to come out of my shell a little bit more. I really, I really hate talking. Please to do. Could, could, could you please find a way to do that? In fact, in fact, in fact, <laughs> um, uh, offline, Tony's been giving me a hard time about, uh, uh, my podcast persona, but I want you to know that you all have absolutely gotten Tony's podcast persona today, because if we were, uh, if, if all of this happened in real time in person, trust me, it would be a different experience. Yes. The mayor of insurance would be up there on the stage waving his hands. You're a hand waver. I'm waving my You're hands. A hand waver. You can't see it, but I'm You're waving a hand my waver. hands as I'm talking. Yeah. Okay. What, yeah. What you see, what you get, what you see is what you get. That's, that's, I, you know, without, I don't talk about me anymore, but I think I, I do get that comment a lot that they, they when I bring my wife out to dinner with me or something, people can't believe that I, I talk the same way as I talk on stage at an industry conference. It's, it, but it's really the truth. What you see is what you get. I, yeah, there's I believe one, you have one speed. I, it's right. It's full blast. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm always turned up to 11. So one thing I will say, and I think this is important, right? In order to get all this done, this all requires transparency and collaboration and all of us working together towards a common goal. And we, we, I find that in my travels throughout this industry, talking to other carriers, talking to a lot of different partners out there and vendors and, you know, small companies, big companies and all the like, right? when we get the most done is when we're, is when we collaborate together for the better for the betterment of our product, for the better industry, right? When we're when we're honest and open and how we can accomplish these goals, who really benefits is the consumer. And by the way, all of us are consumers. I don't know about you, I buy insurance. I'm sure you do too. So this is good for all of us as an industry, as consumers, and we need more of these podcasts. We, I, I congratulate you for putting these on here as a mechanism to share information across the industry because I don't believe we do that enough. Thanks, right? Tony. So kudos I to you for starting something up like this in order to get, look, I look at the list of people you've had on this podcast, the auspicious group that you had, and then I think you must have run out of people when you come to me. Right? So, but I really appreciate the opportunity to do this and, I, I, and to share my vision and to share my thoughts. Uh, I hope people want to hear it. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm honored to be part of the podcast. Thank you very well, much. Well, our task is to bring um, people who are in the midst of all of this um, uh, out, out uh, to, to the audience. And, and like you said, and to have, and do it with reasonable transparency, and we agree that that's really important. And we are super appreciative and and grateful that you've 
that you made the time and and uh, and gave us your thoughts and insights. I hope that you'll come back and see us again in the future sometime. I'd be honored. Anytime. Just let me know. Okay. Well, um, we thank you, and uh, and and I'm sure we'll see you in the near future. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, guys. Uh, we waited a long time for that, Lee, and it was good that uh, we finally got Tony on. And as expected, tons of interesting things and and uh, and insights. Yeah, I always love getting to visit with Tony. Uh, we get to see Tony at conferences and around, and his mind's always going. It's always a hundred yes. miles per hour, and he yes. speaks the same. Uh, yes. But I love I love to talk to him because it gets my mind going uh, with his thoughts. So yeah, it's always a delight to, to have him. So what struck you about that? You know, I you know I, I had asked the question about the direct repair, and right. I was curious on where that was in his mind, and it, it sounds like it's right there. But he, mm-hmm. you know, he hit it on the head that, you know, there is not necessarily that that cooperation between homeowners in America and contractors. Uh, it seems like there's that disconnect right now. But I don't disagree. I think that if an insurance company is saying, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do the legwork for you, I think that's going to happen. But it's just going to take a, a mind shift. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to have to kind of change our mindset uh, as as consumers. But I, I think that the future is there because it, it's easier. And a lot of us are just looking for easy. I thought I really enjoyed what he had to say about self-service claims. Yeah. And what an interesting idea that is. We, and that's not something that we've actually talked a lot about or heard other people talk about. I mean, I guess parts and pieces of it. Sure. Right. Right. Um, but not kind of putting putting it all together into a, a self-service claim, which you could certainly understand and, 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 and see it being done even from your phone, right? Yes. We had a storm uh, two nights ago and my neighbor's tree fell over, just barely clipped the side of their home. And that would be a perfect claim for a self-service claim with a few photos, uh, a few descriptions, that claim could be done. He would have been finished. Um, so I, there's a ton of those claims that happen and right across the street. My neighbor had one little section of a, a ridge cap off. Nothing else was the matter. It's a brick home siding. No, you know, no, no other problems. Perfect example for a self-service claim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause all the, all the technology and, uh, required tools are, are there. And, um, I also thought it was interesting what he had to say about AI. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, I, I, I still think a lot about AI and I still think about um, what he was saying is the more that the data comes in, uh, you know, the smarter it gets. And I'm still, I I personally still want to make sure that we're putting the cleanest data so we can get the best knowledge into these systems. Uh, but what about that? I, you know, I, I wanted to ask the name of it, but we didn't. Um, what technology has he seen that can actually take a, some still photos, create a 3D image of a room, and show some possible uh, furniture or possible areas of damage? That is a game changer. Yeah, you know, I'm envious of Tony in his job that he gets to uh, be at the forefront. He has a front row seat to InsureTech. And... Uh, you know, we have an interesting place in this in this market. We're users, we're consumers right. of insurance tech, right. um, but he can really move a needle in his position, unlike I think what you and I can do. And um, 
and he gets a gets a first he gets you know the he, he's like the movie reviewer who gets to see the movie before you know anybody else he he gets to see all this stuff first and that's what a, what a great job that is yeah, I think that's a great job. But as as he was saying in his in his new role, he's also brought in, uh, you know, under under his role, metrics and finding trends and recommendations. So not only is he able to look at the front end of these technologies and new processes, but he's able to measure uh, the output, the ROI. He's able to measure are they working. So he's an all around knowledgeable guy whenever it comes to insure tech. Uh, and really, we were lucky to have him on today. Mm-hmm. We we're very grateful to Tony, and we thank him for his time and his energy and his effort. And as always, he was he's a very entertaining character for those yes. of us who know Tony Triola. And uh, we thank you, our audience, for being with us today and for listening. And since we don't have any paid advertising, we ask that you s- support us by subscribing to our podcast which you can do on any of your favorite podcast players. You can find more information about that on our website, which is fnoinsuretech.com. And uh, and that's it for us today. And except for one last thing, and you know what that is, Lee? What's that, Rob? Our sign-off. Oh. Bye, everybody. Bye.